you'll open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 7. We have tonight and one other evening, and then we'll be finished with this interesting chapter. Sometimes it's interesting in the way that the old Chinese proverb says, may you grow up in interesting times. (laughs) Last week, we looked into Jesus' words about knowing him. That eternal life is only for those who know him personally and not just know about him. And we saw that knowing him is related so closely to faith because unless you have faith in him, you can't know him. It's just like I've, I've heard preachers uh, at times give an invitation, especially if they're giving an altar call kind of invitation, and they would say, won't you just come forward and love Jesus? And I'm thinking, how can you love somebody you don't know? First, they need to know Christ. Then we can love Christ. We have to have faith in Christ so we can know Christ. And we saw that last week. This evening, we have another one of Jesus' claims about himself that makes no sense to those who don't know him. And yet, it's his invitation to come and know him. So let's read that. We're in John chapter 7. I'm going to begin with verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were going to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Remember, all of this is happening during the Feast of Booths. And the Feast of Booths was one of the three annual feasts for Israel that all Jewish men were required to attend at the tabernacle or later at the temple. And they would all come to Jerusalem from all over the world. Many of them would bring their families with them, especially if they lived within easy traveling distance of Jerusalem. And they would camp out in Jerusalem as a reminder of how Yahweh had provided for their ancestors, the Israelites, when he had set them free from slavery in Egypt. How as they wandered through the desert, he provided water. And he provided food for them. Now, Jesus, as the only perfectly law-keeping Jewish male who ever lived, naturally is going to keep the law and is going to come to this feast. But we saw that he came in the middle of the feast. And that was to frustrate the Jews' plot to try to seize him when there are very few people around and then hold a a trial and then execute him because they've already determined that they must kill him and stop him. So by coming in the middle of the feast when Jerusalem is filled with hundreds of thousands of people from all over the world it's going to be much harder for them to sneak up and seize him at that time. Now, look at verse 14. 
And it says, But when it was now the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. He went up into the temple. Now, who is it that has decided that Jesus must die? Who is it that's plotted that they're going to kill him? It's the Pharisees and the priests. And the temple is their turf. The temple is where they call the shots. Where they think they're in control. And yet at the beginning of his ministry... Here in John itself, it tells us that Jesus had come into the temple on a Passover. And he had cleaned out all the vendors that were selling sacrificial animals. And we answered the question then, why did he do that? It's because this was part of the priest extortion racket. In order to offer up a sacrifice, you had to offer up an animal that was a, had no blemish. It was without blemish. There was nothing wrong with it. It was a perfect animal. Somehow the priest always managed to find something wrong with your animal that you had brought from home. So they would reject your animal. You would have to go back out into the court, probably the court of the Gentiles is where this was set up. Because they certainly would have allowed them to set it up in the court of the women or the court of Israel. But out in the court of the Gentiles, there are all these booths, and you've got all these cattle, and you've got doves, and you have lambs, and you have kid goats, and all of this. It was a farmer's market. And when you've got all those animals, what do you have on the ground? Exactly. In the temple. In God's temple. And what you have to do is go out there and buy one of these animals to go take it back to a priest. And because you had bought it out there and you got a receipt probably, then the priest says, oh yes, this one's acceptable. Because he's getting a kickback from the vendors. This is their extortion racket to make money off the devout Jews who want to worship Yahweh and please Yahweh. And these hypocritical priests, these ungodly priests only see it as an opportunity to enrich themselves. So Jesus came, made a whip, and drove all these vendors out of the court of the Gentiles, out of the temple. He's interfering with the priest business. He came in there and acted like he owned the place. Like it was his temple. It is his temple. He is Yahweh Incarnate, He is God the Son come into his temple. And now he's back. He's back in our temple. He's teaching in our temple. He's teaching. That's our privilege to teach in our temple. This is outrageous. No, I'll tell you what's outrageous. What's outrageous is that God the Son has come into his own temple to teach those who want to learn from him. And the priests who claim to worship God have rejected the very God they claim to worship. Now that's outrageous. Back to tonight's text. In verse 37 it says on the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast that Jesus stood up and cried out. 
the last day of the Feast of Booths. The great day of the Feast of Booths. The culmination. Every day during the Feast of Booths, the Jews had a, a ritual. And that is one of the priests would take a golden pitcher and he would go down to the Pool of Siloam and he would dip up water out of the Pool of Siloam in that golden pitcher, take it back to the, to the altar of burnt offerings where they offered up sacrifices and in a ritual way pour out the water that he had dipped up at the base of the altar of sacrifices. This was not in the word of God. This is not in the law of God. You won't find it in, in the Old Testament at all. This is something that they had added. This is a ceremony they had come up with to enhance what was going on during the Feast of Booths. This is part of the tradition of the Jews. This is what they had added to the Word of God. But it was symbolic. It was symbolic of the fact that God had provided water for his people out in the desert. And they justified it by saying it was associated with Isaiah chapter 12 verses 2 through 3. Let me read that to you. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not dread. For Yah, Yahweh himself, is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. So while everybody there is celebrating what God had done for their ancestors and celebrating God's promises to them, and while in their minds they're thinking about this text, talking about the springs of salvation, Jesus stands up in the middle of the crowd and cries out. He cries out. He doesn't just start teaching. He raises up his voice like I'm doing right now and he cries out. So everybody that's assembled there can hear him. Right in the middle of the solemn yet joyous religious event. What would we do if we were having the Lord's Supper at Providence and someone was to stand up during the Lord's Supper and with a very loud voice say, this is all about me. This commemorates what I did. Well, first we'd be shocked. And everybody would just freeze for a second. And then several of us would handle the situation. Because it would be blasphemy for anybody to say that. Unless they're Jesus. Now we, don't, we know that Jesus is not going to show up in his body at Providence Baptist Church unannounced. No, when the Lord Jesus comes back, the whole world is going to know it. There will be the trumpet of God, there will be the shout of the archangel. Every eye will see him. He will come with the clouds of glory as king of kings, conqueror, emperor. Coming to destroy his enemies and to rescue his children. And to set up the kingdom of God finally once for all. So it's going to be a universal event when the Lord Jesus Christ shows up. But it 
would be blasphemy for somebody in our congregation to stand up and say, this Lord's Supper is all about me and what I have done, unless it was the Lord Jesus Christ. In this situation, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. This is the second time now that the Lord Jesus has interfered with the priest's hypocritical religiosity. Now what is it he cried out? Look there in your text. He's crying out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. He doesn't say let him come to God. Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Do you get the symbolism? Here in this water pouring ceremony, you have a reminder of how Yahweh had satisfied the physical thirst of his people. Mercifully, graciously satisfied the physical thirst of his people out in the wilderness. And now the Lord Jesus Christ says, I will satisfy your thirst, but not for water, but to know God. Look at verse 38. He says, He who believes in me as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, but there is no Old Testament scripture that he's quoting. He's alluding to other scriptures in the Old Testament, but not quoting any one particular scripture in the Old Testament. He's alluding to scriptures like Isaiah chapter 58 verse 11. Or Joel chapter 3 verse 18. That talk about rivers of water, of living water. Coming out of Jerusalem or coming out of God's people. Yet again, the Lord Jesus Christ is claiming that spiritual life Spiritual satisfaction comes only from faith in him. He who believes in me. Now notice he doesn't say he who believes in God. You say, why wouldn't he say that? For the same reason that Adrian Rogers once made the I think it was Adrian Rogers who made this comment. He said, when I hear a politician talking about God, that does nothing for me. Because I don't know what God they're talking about. But when I hear a politician talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, I perk up and pay attention. Jesus is being very specific. Because remember who he is. And remember who the scribes, the Pharisees, and the priests are determined that he is not. He is God the Son. And they're determined that he is not God the Son. But he's saying, if you will come to me... It does no one any good to believe in some undefined God. Life does not come from some undefined, as one person said, puff God in the sky or cloud God in the sky. No, the Lord Jesus is making it plain. You want to know God, you have to come to me. If you want eternal life, everlasting life, you come to me. 
I'm the one who gives it. it. He's been doing this throughout the book of John all along. He's continuing to make this claim. In John chapter 1 verses 11 and 12. He came into his own. And his own did not receive him. That is his own did not welcome him. But as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become the sons of God. To those that believe in his name. In John 3.16. I don't need to quote it. You know it. In John chapter. And by the way that's the Lord Jesus speaking. He's the one saying for God so loved the world. And then in John chapter 5 in verse 24, the Lord Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears these words of mine and believes on him who has sent me has everlasting life and will not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. And then in John chapter 6, the, the chapter just before this, when he's still in Galilee, in verse 47, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes, believes what? Believes in me. Has eternal life. You say, Harry, did, didn't you skip one? Yeah, I did. Because this sounds so familiar. What's happening here at the water pouring ceremony sounds so familiar because we just heard Jesus a few months ago saying something very similar at the well of Sychar in Samaria to the Samaritan woman. In chapter 4, verse 14, the Lord Jesus says to her at the well, Everyone who drinks of this water, that is the water that comes up out of the well, the water she had come to draw that day, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never, ever thirst but the water I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. A well of water springing up to eternal life. As the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Same thing. An endless supply of this water. But the water he's talking about is eternal life. It's not just physical water. See, Temple Judaism, with all of its rituals, taught the people about God. Who He is. What He's done. But following God's law alone couldn't satisfy the soul's thirst to know God. Like Eric has said several times, talking about the sacrifices of the old, old covenant. You think about the tabernacle and the children of Israel before they built the temple. And they go to, let's say, Elkanah and Hannah, since Pastor Bob has been teaching through 1 Samuel. And they go to the tabernacle and they take their sacrifice. And the priest examines it and says, Yes, this is acceptable. And the priest takes the sacrifice into the courtyard and the priest slaughters the sacrifice and the priest puts the sacrifice up on the, on the altar and the priest burns the sacrifice and you're still standing there at the gate and God's in that tent but you're still out here as Eric has said so many times 
Oh, for a day to be able to go in and have fellowship with God. And to know my God. See, temple Judaism couldn't satisfy that longing, that thirst to know God. This is the third time that the Lord Jesus has clearly promised that if we come to him, if we trust in him, he will satisfy our thirst to know God. In chapter 4, verse 14, at the well of Sychar, we just talked about that. He promised that we would never ever thirst to know God once we've come to him. In chapter 6, verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And now, in verse 38 of this chapter, says, from his inmost being will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. Not a pool, not a well, not a bucket full, but an endless supply of living water. Constantly, fresh living water. In other words, you'll never thirst again. You'll never thirst to know God again if you come to him. So the question we have to ask is how can we do that? How can he do that? Excuse me. How can he do that? And the answer is found in verse 39. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him was, were going to receive. For the spirit was not yet given. Or your translation may say the spirit was not yet sent. Literally it says the spirit was not yet in other words, it hadn't been sent. He hadn't been given yet. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Hmm. This rivers of living water. He spoke of the Spirit. Whom those who were going to believe in Or whom those who believed in him were going to receive. We come to know God. By trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Lord Jesus Christ sends his spirit, his Holy Spirit, to live in us. Keep your place there in John chapter 7 and go over to John 14. John 14. Look at verses 16 through 18. This is amazing. Jesus is speaking to the eleven. Judas has already left. And he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, another helper, another alongside of you, that he may be with you forever. Who is this advocate, this helper? The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Because it does not see him or know him. You know him because he abides with you. All this time that I've been with you, the spirit of truth has been with you and will be where? In you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Wait a minute. Jesus, you said you're going away. And you're going to send the spirit of truth. And then you say, I will come to you. Which is it? And the answer is, yes. Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's the Lord Jesus Christ without his body. And he said that he will send him and he will no longer just be with us. Remember, that was the Old Testament situation. That the Spirit of God would come on people. He will no longer be just with you. He will be where? In you. Romans 8, 9 reiterates this promise. When talking of the Christians, it says, You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. This was the great Old Testament promise. This was the promise that God the Father had made to Israel, had made to his people, that one day he was going to pour out his spirit on his people and indwell his people. He no longer was going to be in the tabernacle. He was now going to be in them. You remember what Peter said on the day of Pentecost when he's preaching? And he says, what you see today is the promise of God. And he quotes Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And Jesus is saying that. The way you're going to be satisfied knowing God, the way you're going to be completely satisfied in your spiritual life, the way that I will satisfy your thirst to know God is I'm going to send my spirit to you. Hmm. Do you see, when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is God the Son who's become one of us, God himself comes to live in us. And that's how we can know him. Because he lives in us. And then we really do begin to know him. But before the Holy Spirit of God can indwell us, our sins have to be taken care of. Uh, Holy God and Holy Spirit is not going to indwell a dirty house. And God himself dealt with our sins when he gave his only begotten son to pay the penalty for our sins so that he could justly and righteously forgive our sins. Mm. 1 Peter chapter 2 says the Lord Jesus Christ bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6, you're familiar with it, but we always need to hear it. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And Yahweh has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And the Lord Jesus himself confirms this when in Mark chapter 10 verse 45, he says, For the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus himself suffered the wrath that we deserve on the cross. And for us who believe in him, for us who trust in him, he suffered in our place. And you remember how it goes at the very end of his sufferings on the cross. He paid the full penalty for our sins on the cross, not after the cross. Death was a release for him. Don't let anybody tell you that Jesus went to hell after he died. No, he didn't go to hell after he died. There was no purpose other than to announce the fact that he had defeated Satan. 
And that all those who were there were there because they deserved to be there. No, but just before he died, Jesus cried out with a loud voice again, Tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full. I have paid the penalty of the sins of all of our people in full. Mm. Now, all who trust in him, who have received him, are cleansed of all of our sins. And the Holy Spirit can come live in us when we trust him. Don't you love 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Now that's a sure reality for us now. But remember when Jesus is saying this, he's speaking this, he hasn't gone to the cross yet. His payment for our sins is still in the future. The Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet crucified. Oh, excuse me, glorified. Jesus was not yet glorified. He had not yet paid for our sins on the cross. He had not yet been buried and then raised on the third day. He had not yet been seen by the apostles and then later by over 500 witnesses at one time. He had not yet ascended into heaven to sit at his father's right hand in glory, glorified, ruling over the universe that he created for his father and for himself. The cross was certain. He is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He and the father had decreed that he would die for their elect. He will keep telling his apostles that he must go to Jerusalem. He must be, condemned, he must be uh, betrayed by the high priest and turned over to the Gentiles and crucified and rise on the third day. He'll keep telling them that. He is determined to save all of those that the Father has given him. Think about chapter 6, verse 37. All the Father has given to me will come to me, and he who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Nothing will keep him from the cross for us. But say, but wait a minute, Harry, you just said something. You said that the Lord Jesus Christ died for his elect. Well, then who can come to him and drink? Go back to verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone, if anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty to know God, let him come to me and drink. That's an open invitation to anyone who is thirsty. Thirsty to know God. The true God. Our creator. Anyone who is thirsty to know God is invited to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe in him. To have their sins forgiven. To receive eternal life. 
and spend eternity with him forever in heaven. Because only those that the Father has given to his Son will thirst for him. But all that the Father has given to his Son will thirst for him. So the question is, do you long to know God? Are you thirsty to know God? Well then if you are, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are, trust in him. Trust him to keep his promise that anyone who is thirsty is invited to come to him for everlasting life. That's the God we serve. That's the Lord Jesus who came to earth to save sinners. Will you pray with me? Our Father, thank you that once again tonight we see the glory of your grace. That we see the glory of your grace in that all those that you are drawing to your Son will come to your Son. The grace that extends to anyone that you call regardless of what we were before and that all those who come to him you will receive and that out of our innermost being we will know eternal life for you dwell in us and then out of our innermost being life will flow to those that we tell about you and those that you call and those that you draw will also come to you and they also will know life use us here use us as individuals use us as this little meeting gathering in this insignificant place to be an instrument in your hand to draw those that you are calling to yourself that they may know life Thank you for this promise. And thank you that you keep your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And we are dismissed.